0: Hello, and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak of authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with Linda Urban, whose books include A Crooked Kind of Perfect, Hound Dog True, The Center of Everything, and the picture books Mouse Was Mad and Little Red Henry. Urban's next novel, Milo Speck Accidental Agent, is being published in September by Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the new book, Milo is searching for a missing sock in the dryer when he's unexpectedly dragged through the dryer and into the land of Ogregon, which is full of giant ogres who can't see terribly well, but are still pretty big fans of both eating and squashing humans. When Milo discovers that his father may be an Ogregon as well, and possibly in grave danger, he sets out to try to help him, discovering quite a bit about his family along the way. Uh, Linda, thanks for speaking with me.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here.
0: And did I get that right? That's Ogregon?
1: You got it exactly right. Yes, it's like Oregon, but for ogres.
0: Yes. I I love the name, but I definitely spent a little time trying to figure out how to actually say it out loud. So Milo's adventures in the book uh, basically begin with a sock that's gone missing in the dryer. Is there any chance that the book started out the same way, or was it something completely different that led to uh, the formation of this book?
1: It was actually really different. I was working at the time that I started Milo, on Hound Dog True, my second novel, and it was proving really frustrating and difficult for me. And I was up against a deadline, and every day I was feeling like when I sat down to write, it had to count you remember how you used that expression when you were in elementary school? Like your teacher would start to tell you something, and you'd raise your hand, and you'd say, does this count, or is this going to count? And you're really saying, you know, is it going to be graded? Is it going to matter? And every day I sat down thinking what I write has to count, and it has to matter, and it has to be the right stuff because I'm up against the deadline. And I was losing all the fun of writing. And so I said to myself one weekend – this is a weekend of fun writing. It has nothing to do with publishing. It has nothing to do with deadlines. I'm just going to give you a, self, a little break to play on the page. And my kids and I were reading a lot of Roald Dahl and Edward Eager at the time, and they seemed to me to be the epitome of fun and play. And I think the influence of those two writers came through when when I decided to play and Mila was born. Why a sock? Why a dryer? Why ogres? I have no idea.
0: <laughs> and this is... Is it right to say that this is basically your sort of first story that has a really strong fantasy component like this?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, it, aside from talking mice in a well, picture yes, book.
0: That's true. <laughs> and, you know, you mentioned uh, The Doll and some of the other books that you've been reading at the time. Did you have a pre existing sort of fondness? Were your family big fans of sort of fairy tale creatures and ogres and elves and that sort of thing to begin with?
1: As a kid, I liked realistic fiction. I could take on some talking animals and Charlotte's Web, but otherwise, I liked you know, Ramona, and I liked the Little House books. But my own kids loved anything that felt like an adventure, whether that was a contemporary adventure or a fantasy. But in particular, we were listening to the full cast audio version of Edward Eager's Half Magic over and over any time we drove anywhere. And just the joy that my kids had in listening to that story and how when we got out of the car, they would run like into the house and down in the basement and they would act it out all over again. And that joy and excitement, I think, was super influential. And I just wanted to write something that felt like their joy.
0: One thing I noticed and appreciated in the book uh, is that readers are sort of basically forced to figure out what's going on right alongside Milo, there's not necessarily this narrative intrusion that says, well, this is the land of Ogregon, and here's what you need to know about it. Did you want to sort of disorient readers in some ways, the same way that Milo and kind of put them in the same shoes?
1: John, I was disoriented. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what I was writing in the beginning, and I discovered it along with Milo. I think so many kids feel like they don't have the handbook to get them through the world that they're navigating on a daily basis. And Milo is really an extension of that. He's a small boy in a big world that he doesn't understand. And he takes the little things that he does know, a few mechanical things, some of his past history from reading, some of his experiences with his dad, and he tries to use that to navigate this really confusing world. And, yeah, it's kind of important that the reader go along on that same journey, pulling things apart and piecing things together and figuring out where your assumptions and expectations were actually misleading instead of helping you. But it made some challenges as a writer, too.
0: So there was at one point in the book, I remember especially he'd sort of gets asked if he had any questions and he like has this outline of like 10 questions. He's like, you know, here are the 10 things that I don't understand right now that he's thinking to himself. Like, I've got a few questions. But, you know, you mentioned the, uh, the sort of mechanics that he's familiar with, you know, household items like dryers and toasters and how they work actually end up playing a somewhat important uh, role in the story too. Did you need to, you know, break out the screwdrivers or, you know, take a look at some instruction manuals? Uh, was that at all part of your process in putting the book together?
1: I am mechanically disinclined so um, I did have to look at some manuals for things like dryers, but I also have a, a son who likes to take things apart. And just knowing how he looks at something mechanical was really helpful to understanding how Milo would do the same.
0: Mm-hmm. And so at what point in the process did the book sort of make that jump from this is something that I'm writing for fun and as like just to give myself a break. To Oh, there's actually something here and I really want to pursue it.
1: I wish I could pinpoint the exact moment, but I know it was when two things came together. First of all, I, before this, most of my novels were sort of introspective and, and quiet and inside the heads of their main characters. And my son, Jack, came to me and said, I want you to write a book for me. And I said, well, what is a book for you? And he said, it has to have ham in it. And I, I said, ham? Ham? And he said yes. Humor, action, and mystery. He had made this acronym. For oh my the gosh! Kind of amazing. He wanted in a book, and and I thought, okay, you know, I could try to do that just for Jack. So again, I wasn't thinking about publication. And I have been very well reviewed. I've been treated well by trade publications, and I'm grateful. But most of the reviews have a line like this although not much happens, the characters make up for it. Or a deep, introspective novel where the right reader won't mind that there isn't much action. And I began to internalize that second half of those, those reviews, the part that says, Linda Urban doesn't write action, and she doesn't write books where many things happen. So much so that if I got an idea for a novel that would require action – I, I steered myself away from it. I, I just thought, I'm not that writer, so I can't write that story. And that was starting to bother me. So when Jack asked for a ham book and, um, and I was being bothered by this comment and reviews, I decided that I needed to learn how to write an action book, that it didn't need to be publishable, but I I didn't want to have that constraint in the way I thought about myself as a writer. And so I wrote... Milo, at the beginning, to teach myself how to write action. And the more I did and the more I shared it with Jack, um, the more encouraged I was that it was actually going somewhere. And eventually I shared it with my editor who thought it went somewhere too.
0: Yeah. And speaking of, you know, most of, I think nearly all of your books have been with Harcourt or now Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Have you basically been working with the same editor since uh, book one?
1: Yes, my beloved Jeanette Larson. Um, Jeanette you know, bought Mouse Was Mad, my picture book, first, and really has nurtured me as a writer. And even during that very difficult merger time, uh, when a lot of people were feeling unsettled about where their books would land or what the relationships with their editors would be, Jeanette was great at just sort of, you know, tapping my hand and saying, it'll be okay and just keep writing. And, And every time she makes my books better.
0: And uh, what was her reaction to, to seeing Milo arrive after, you know, a couple of the more quiet, introspective novels you're talking about?
1: <laughs> well, I think she laughed. Uh, Jeanette plays it close to the vest at first because mm-hmm. she knows that any comment that she gives me, positive or negative, can, can um, its importance, I can inflate that like like a Macy's Day balloon. So she tries to keep it um, measured at first, but she did tell me that she liked the kid and she thought it was funny and inventive and she encouraged me to keep going in that direction. Nice.
0: And, lots of, and, and turkeys, lots of ham and a few turkeys and a few turkeys as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and now you also spent several years uh, as the marketing director at uh Bookstore in California. Do you do you miss those days at all? Are you still plugged into the the indie bookselling scene at all?
1: My local bookseller here in Montpelier, Vermont is Bear Pond Books and they know if I walk into the children's section and there's a customer around that I'm going to hand sell somebody's book. I can't help myself but straighten displays and talk up books and um so there's still a lot of indie blood in me but um I worked really hard when I was at Roman's. I adored that job, and it sort of saved me at one point. I was at the end of an ill-fated Ph.D. program. Um, It had been really grueling, and I, I loved talking about film and television. That was what the degree was in. But the further I got in the program, the farther removed we got from the actual films. And we talked a lot more about the theories And the theories of the theories. And I got really distanced from the things that brought me to that study in the first place, which was story and character and the tools that we use to communicate with one another. And I went... To Romans, just to see if there might be a way for me to spend a few hours a week there, and I ended up spending sixty or seventy hours a week <laughs> doing all the promotional stuff and hosting most of the events, and it was the best education uh, I, I could ever have received.
0: And do you feel like it's uh, also served you well at, as as your career as an author has grown? Do you feel like there were some important, not to say lessons, but you know, things that you took away from that that really maybe helped? I want to say ease the transition as you took on a writing career?
1: Yes. There's two sides to that. On the writing side, it helps me to remember what my customers cared about. When I told them about a book, they didn't care what Foucault might say about it. They cared if it had a great character, if it was well-written, if they would feel something when they read it. And That has really shaped the way that I try to write books. I want to make people have connections with with the characters and, and to feel what those characters are feeling. On the author side, the business side of things, it has made me not worry so much about whether or not I'm getting the same marketing deal that somebody else is getting or whether I'm on this list or that list because I know from the bookseller side just how little of that is stuff that can be planned, that, that things just sort of happen that are out of your control. And, and it allows me to focus more on the storytelling, which is what I love anyway.
0: So I also get the sense that you do a lot of uh, encouraging of other writers. Um, is, is Write Daily 30 something that you came up with or something that you champion?
1: I, it was something I came up with. I have a few writer friends who are going through a tough time. And I know from my own experience that daily writing works best for me. And that these, um, in this case, they were women. These women were having a hard time justifying to themselves, taking just 30 minutes away from the demands of their families and their other jobs, and, um, and, and doing that daily. So I challenged them that we would write together Uh, for 30 days in a row and they could set any goal they wanted to, whether that was 30 minutes or an hour or just coming up with one new picture book idea. And once I challenged them, I thought, well, let's open this up on on Twitter. And, And lots and lots of people joined us and we cheered each other on. And I started to post some things on my blog that sort of reinforced the idea of daily writing, of honoring the commitments that you keep to yourself, how committing to writing changes the way you look at the world, how it makes your eyes open wider and your hearts open bigger and your stories get better. So I I love Write Daily 30. I love joining other people in a challenge. And there have been times when that challenge I issued to others was actually what kept me writing when I wanted to call it a day
0: and uh, you know getting back to to this book, I definitely felt like there was room for more books about milo are you Are you basically envisioning this as, as a uh, series
1: i I haven 't committed one way or the other yet. There is room, and i won 't say that i won 't go back to Milo, but I am presently captivated <laughs> by another project, so we'll we 'll have to see where it leads
0: okay. And um, and you also had a uh, picture book out this spring as well, right? Yeah. How's it been seeing that make it out its way into the uh, the world so far?
1: The, the, it's been really fun. Um, I love. I, I was at Bear Pond Books uh, just recently reading it to a few kids that I don't know, which is always nice to to read to to random children whose parents will allow you to do so, and. It was great it was great to see their reactions and their expressions and this this book uh, little red henry is sort of a twist on the little red hen story you remember how the little red hen wants to sow some wheat and bake some bread and she asks all her barnyard pals you know who will help me sow the wheat not i said the duck not i said the dog Hmm. Little Red Henry, the hero of this story, is preschool age, and he just wants to do a few things for himself. But he has uh, helicopter parents who just would rather he let them do things. And this is his assertion of independence. Well, When you read this book out loud to kids, instantly, they join in the refrain, I can do it myself. And that's a really rewarding thing. It's also rewarding to see the Amazingly funny, beautiful illustrations that Madeline Valentine put to the story. I I love looking at them. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Do you think you'd ever write for an older audience, or do you feel like middle grade and, and younger picture books is kind of where you fit in best as a writer, where you're most at home right now?
1: It's one of those things, again, where I would never say never, but I feel at home in my 12 year old self and occasionally. I get picture book notions from hanging around at my kid's school, helping out there. I I see the preschoolers and first graders in action. But I believe my true voice is that of an 11-year-old.
0: Well, thank you again for speaking with me, and uh, congrats on the new book.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It has been a pleasure to talk with you. And thanks for all that you are doing to promote kids' books.
0: Once again, I've been speaking with Linda Urban, whose novel, Milo Speck Accidental Agent, is out in September from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast.